Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Glory, hallelujah. Isn't that good this morning? What a blessing to know that we will see Him there face to face. Join with me in Ephesians 5. Now, this is the first time on a Sunday morning, I think in a long time, that I've not been in the book of John. We just finished a little over two-year study through the Gospel of John, and what a tremendous time it was to see Christ through the eyes of the one who loved Him so devotedly. And so today we're going to just take a little bit of time and we're going to see this idea of growing in love. And it had been in my desire to preach on marriage. And so we're going to have just a few weeks here where we're going to spend some time dealing with the home and marriage. And I tell you what a joy it is to be reminded of God's intent for marriage. But you know, every time I preach on marriage, the Lord always has to test some things. You know what I mean? And so the preacher's not above this, and so this morning, even this morning, we're uh, getting ready for uh, church, and, and you know, inevitably, when these things happen, guess what? We get to be tested. Are you really going to live what you're preaching today, preacher? And so, uh, praise the Lord, I, I hope I passed the test. My son is down here, he'll, he'll let you know if I didn't. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be here today uh, in this. Now, we think about marriage, and we think, man, marriage is easy. How many would you say marriage is easy? Obviously, you've only been married a week. (laughs) That's called the honeymoon phase. It passes way too quickly. You know, the reality is if you've been married any sort of time at all, you would say marriage is what? Work. Someone said hard work, preacher. Hard work. It it takes some effort, and that's important for us to understand. As a matter of fact, if you think about, have you ever studied thermodynamics? Anybody ever in here studied thermodynamics? All right, good. A few of you have. I have not, but I know a little bit, enough to make me sound intelligent. Doesn't say I am. And I'm just going to read to you what the second law of thermodynamics is, is this law of entropy. Now this is, and all, all energy exchanges, no energy, uh, yeah, excuse me, it states that all energy exchanges, if no energy enters or leaves the system, the potential energy of the state will always be less than that of the initial state. In other words, if you have a cup of hot water, uh, and, uh, and uh, like this morning, I drink my coffee. Man, what a joy it is to drink a nice hot cup of black coffee. And boy, I get that, and I make that, and I, and I get that there, and as I'm reading my Bible, I sip on that. But as I start sipping, it starts really, really hot. I can't hardly drink it. By, by the time I'm, I'm down to the bottom, it's cold. Anybody else have that problem? That's the second law of thermodynamics at work. So it means that things that are hot will eventually become cool, uh, equal to the temperature of the things around it. Uh, and so the another one is that things that are tight together eventually come apart. Okay, now this is especially important to see in the family. 
You see, because if no energy is applied, you won't see that nucleus stay together. Instead, it tends to drift apart over time. Now, this is especially important for us to understand tonight because here, here's where it applies to you and me is because if we don't apply energy, if we don't apply effort, if we don't apply, apply God's principles in our marriage, in our family, we drift apart. And it's so important for us to see, listen, God wants, doesn't want us to be apart. This whole world is pulling our families in 20 different directions. God's called us instead to, listen, I'm going to invest in bringing our family together. And someone said, it's hard work. And it is work. But it's rewarding work. You know, and there's, a, there's something good about that. I, I, uh, just a few weeks ago, or last week, my sons and I were splitting some firewood, and, and we got done splitting some firewood, and my son says, man, I just love the way that makes me feel. You know, it was rewarding. They were, we accomplished something. And in this, as you apply your energies into building your family and your marriage, it is rewarding. And when you get back to the other side, you say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the wisdom and the desire to heal what I was drifting. And so sometimes, I often as I talk with people, I hear people say, listen, Pastor, you don't understand, I just don't feel in love anymore. And man, that's a, that's a dangerous place to be because this is the law of entropy at work. And so love is not necessarily a feeling as much as it is, listen, it's a choice, a matter of the will that says, listen, I choose to love you no matter what. And so the, uh, the couple have been married for 50 years. He looks over and he looks at his wife and he remembers what she looked like uh, on the very first day of marriage. And then he looks at her today and he says, you know, I love you more today than the day I married you. And he looks at her and says, you know, you're more beautiful today than the day I married you. How could he do that? Not because uh, she has less wrinkles or maybe physical beauty is, is better than it was before, but because he's invested and he knows the value of the treasure in her. You see, that's what Christ wants us to see. In this relationship, and especially the marriage relationship, it's easy to take one another for granted. It's easy to just uh, treat one another as a doormat and forgotten about, forgetting about one another until eventually those roots of bitterness become embedded down in the heart of the spouse. One of the greatest hindrances to having a healthy home is me, myself, and I. The three of us get in the way. Matter of fact, someone said, I used to say I love all my wife's relatives, but I love her husband the most. <laughs> listen, that may be true, but listen, God wants us to see that self is often the biggest problem in marriage. And so unless biblical principles are applied, unless energy is applied, that flesh will prohibit a couple from ever realizing their full potential. Psalms 127, I remind you what the Bible says here, except who? The Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. We see that this is God's desire that this home, this house, be built in His name. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. And often, uh, as Christians, we're saying, listen, Pastor, I've heard a thousand messages on Ephesians 5. Good, you're going to hear a thousand and one more. But before we get to Ephesians 5, I want to back up just a little bit because the book of Ephesians is such a tremendous epistle. It's such a great book of the Bible that God gives us some great wisdom uh, in the first three chapters. In the last three chapters, He helps us to know how to apply that biblical wisdom. So the first three are, are really about, hey, what has Christ done for me? He's our hope of glory. He is everything to us. But since now we have to take what He's given us and we have to make it applicable in this life that we live today. Okay, we need that. 
And that's where the rubber meets the road in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And that's where Ephesians uh, becomes so powerful in our life when we truly we, we, uh, listen very closely to what God has to say. Now, if you look at Ephesians and Colossians, you're going to see they're very similar. If you've ever read your Bible, maybe read those, these two together, you're going to see there's a lot of similarities. But Ephesians is a slightly expanded uh, on some of the themes that are there. And so we see that we want to just spend a little bit of time here. And if you're with us in our Scripture Memory Challenge uh, for this year, it's Colossians 3, and it does deal with the, the home and family relationships and our relationship with the Lord. So I want to challenge you this year to memorize Colossians 3 with us. We're working toward that end. I know some people are getting close, and so uh, that's an encouragement to me who hasn't started yet, so I'm telling myself as much as you. Amen? But as we look at this, we're going to look in, in chapter 4 in Ephesians, and we're going to work our way into our main text today, because I want to see a few things about how chapter 4 teaches us to take those principles and apply them to this life, because He desires for us to live in unity. He desires for us to have holy lives. He, he desires for us to have a biblical instruction regarding uh, the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, even my relationship with uh, my employer, employee, and even uh, helps us to know how we can live in a day that is laced so much with spiritual warfare. How can we be victorious in this day? Ephesians is phenomenal. And so before we ever get to Ephesians 5, uh, I want to just, uh, just share a few things that Christ has shared with us before this point. So look in verse number 1, Ephesians 4 and verse number 1. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So before we ever get to, why wow, submit, we must first come back to God's called all of us to walk worthy. God's called all of us to see the instructions, to hear what Christ has done, and then apply those in our life. And listen, when we're willing to do that, then, then uh, the roles of the husband and the wife, which are different in the Bible, can I get an amen? And they're also very good. Amen. That's another good spot for amen. Good. Listen, when, when we realize that we can walk worthy of this vocation wherewith we are called, then when we come to the marriage relationship, those things that God instructs us there become very beneficial. So let's look at verse number 2. So he, he begins to say, listen, this is the over, overwhelming uh, paragraph here, that the, the big idea, if you will, walk worthy of this vocation. And then he tells us how, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness and with long-suffering, long forbearing one another in love. Now just think about some of those words for a moment. Lowliness does not uh, mean that we're puffed up or proud. Matter of fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you just read through it, you see that God says that charity or love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Okay, And he says that, listen, this Christian life should be lived as such that, listen, I don't care if uh, my rights are violated as long as Christ is lifted up. But there's also this spirit of meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. And I want you to see that as we walk with Christ, as we follow after Him, that spirit of meekness becomes part of the Matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit, one of that is that spirit, uh, that fruit of meekness. And then God calls us to long-suffering. You know, what, do you, what does that mean? Reverse the word, suffer long. 
And there's times where we do go through some periods and maybe some challenging times in this life. And God says, listen, don't give up, but instead walk worthy. Uh, So oftentimes we want to guard ourselves uh, from any and all harm. We don't want to go through anything bad. We don't want to suffer through any challenges. Uh, But what we don't realize is that God says that trials are a blessing because as we walk through those trials, those trials teach us that He's sufficient, that He is our friend and companion, and that His words are always true. And so when we come back to the Scriptures and we see that God calls us to says, listen, walk with uh, this long-suffering spirit, this willingness to endure, He says, this is a good thing. Even walking through trials, trials in your marriage, trials in your family, these are good things that God blesses. And He says, forbearing one another, bearing together, walking beside, arm in arm. There's nothing sweeter than watching a couple who's been through some of the hardest things in their, in their uh, marriage and their life, and they're still hand in hand walking together. There's nothing sweeter than that. What are they doing? They're forbearing one another in love. They're dealing with the, the trials that happen. And listen, there are real trials in this life. But when we forbear, it means we walk together through this. Now he goes on verse number 15. Look there with me. This means choosing good patterns of conversation. If we're going to walk worthy, it means we're going to have good patterns of conversation. And he says this in verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, oftentimes we can be one extreme or the other in this situation. We can speak the truth and nothing but the truth. And it can be very, very, very painful. Sometimes we can be all about the love and we, we compromise the truth. God didn't say, listen, you you got to have uh, love. And, or He didn't say, listen, you can only be about truth. He said, speak truth with love. It goes together, hand in hand. And so when I confront someone or if there's an issue that we're dealing with, I'm not going to come out uh, with a demeaning or demoralizing spirit as much as I would desire to uh, restore that which is broken. As speaking the truth in love. Verse 25, He says, again, regarding our conversation, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication pursue proceed out of your mouth. But listen to this, that which is what church? Good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Now we say, yes, this is needed in the church. And it is today. It's needed in our lives in every situation and especially in the home. Think about this, next time you're in a a disagreement with your spouse, uh, you come back to uh, Ephesians 4.29 and you said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. And then you say this to yourself, but that which is good. And when I counsel with couples, oftentimes I give them five questions they've got to memorize. And I'm going to try to say them for you. I didn't bring them with me, so I'm going to try to do it from my, from my, uh, from my memory. And the very first question is, is it true? Is this situation, and what we're about to talk to, is this true? If I'm dealing with, a, with an issue in my family or with my spouse, now I want to know, is this something that is accurate or is this just hearsay? Now I've forgotten the other four. I'm sure it has something good. And, oh, yes, I remember now. So if you've been through this and you remember, you can shout them out. That's all right. But the second one that's important is uh, to make sure that it's the right timing. Sometimes I can speak some truth, but at the same time, it can be the wrong timing to deal with something. And so timing is really crucial. The third thing I often like to uh, refer to is this the best possible way of saying it. Is there a better way to say this? For example, if I, uh, if I am having a discussion with my wife, I'm not going to do it on text message. 
You know why? Because sometimes we can read things in the text message that don't belong there. But one of the things I can do is say, hey, let's, let, can we talk about this more later? And then that gives me time to pray and to seek the Lord and make sure I say the best thing. Now, I've got to go on because otherwise I'll never finish this message and it'll be another part two sermon or part three. But listen, this means, uh, so we see we have good patterns of conversation. And look in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. We encourage one another to godliness. Verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, in the context of the church, we see that God gave pastors and, and teachers, He, he gave uh, us those so that we can be uh, encouraged to be like Christ, so that we together can do the work of the ministry. But this should also be present in the home. You see, God, God uh, called us as men to lead our family, but that doesn't mean being a boss or domineering or uh, uh, authoritarian. What it means is we lead like Jesus led. We lead with that washed, uh, that wash basin and that and that towel, and we serve our family. We demonstrate Christ to them. That means as well that we take time to say, "Listen, I, I, I want to make sure that uh, that I serve you. I minister to the needs of my family, not me first, but Christ first in everything." But it also means not only those things, but also putting off the old man and putting on the new. Now Ephesians four begins this idea of putting off and putting on. And he begins this, and he carries this through uh, the rest of the chapter. And, and we see here in verse number 22, it said explicitly, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful love. So God begins here with, listen, you've got to put off the old man. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Who brings renewal, church? Oh, we failed that test. Let's try it again. Who brings new Renewal. Christ, very good. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so there is this, again, this putting off and putting on. I'm going to take some things out of my life. I'm going to replace them with good things. And he goes on to detail those things. But what we see here is this initial thing is, listen, I've got to be willing to, if I'm going to walk worthy, to take off and to put on. I'm going to take off the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. But we go on and we see that one of those things that he calls us to is to put off anger. Look in verse number 26 of Ephesians 4. Look in your Bible. He says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now, oftentimes we like to say, Listen, God tells me I can be angry. I've heard people justify their anger with that verse. But this is the follow-up of that. It says, Be ye angry and sin not. You see, the problem is most of my sin is very sinful because not because it's focused on Christ, because it's focused on me. Most of my anger is justification. Well, so-and-so said this about me. Well, listen, wasn't Christ also one that was blasphemed against? Wasn't Christ also one that was nailed to the cross? Wasn't Christ also one that was uh, done evil against? And yet, the Bible says this, He was reviled and He reviled not again. Put on the mind of Christ. It means also being quick to forgive having a spirit of kindness. Ephesians 4.32, this was our theme verse for our family for years and years and years. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Listen, that forgiveness that he talks about in Ephesians 4.32, he compares it to the same forgiveness that we received at Calvary. And he says, listen, every time you're offended, God commands what? Forgive. Man, that's, that can be tough. I know it. 
But that's God's words, not mine. Look at the next, next uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse number 1. He calls us, he said, if we're going to walk worthy, that means we're going to follow Christ. And he says in verse number 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And then after this, he, he says that this is following, is a following after his pattern of love and, after his, uh, and our love for one another. He says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling sweet savor. And he says this, verse number 18, that as we walk together, we follow after the Lord, that it is a a desire to walk in the Spirit. And here's one of those examples of putting off and putting on. He says, and be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so this is this desire to put on, uh, a desire to follow after the Lord in everything. And it's evidenced in verses 19 and 20. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And he says in verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. See, before we ever get to the passage that deals explicitly with uh, the family and with the home and marriage, he deals first with my relationship with the Lord. And this is so imperative that we capture this, that God wants us to walk worthy, that God wants us to be in that place where He can bless your family and bless your life. So before we go any further... That was all the introduction. Let's have prayer today. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we're thankful for Your goodness. Thank You, Lord, for the call to walk worthy. We can't do it on our own. And so we recognize that, uh, Lord, we need Your help. We need uh, uh, Christ. We need the Spirit of God, Lord, to help us to strengthen our families. And Lord, there's nothing we can do without You. So please, Lord... Would you help this time we have together, though it's so short and fleeting. May the instruction from your word be profitable uh, and bring grace to the hearers. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we lay out all of these different things, we see that if we're truly going to follow the Lord, it means that there is, uh, the result is going to be joy, there's contentment, there's spiritual growth that happens in the home. And so it's a place that you would call heaven on earth, an oasis, if you will, in the midst of a desert. And that's truly what the home, God intended your home to be like an oasis, to be a place where you can retreat to, you can find that source of joy, that happiness, because together you're strengthening one another to be more like Jesus Christ. One of the most important questions I ever ask a couple before they get married is, how does he or how does she help you become more like Jesus? That's important. Because you see, my relationship with my wife should strengthen me to be more like Christ. Listen, Paul ends this wonderful passage with this in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see what he was saying? He said, listen, heed these words because the battle before you is intense. Heed these words because there's going to be forces that are desiring to destroy your family and your home. And so may I just urge you, may I encourage each of us here today, Lord, instead of praying together, Lord, change my wife or change my husband. Lord, my prayer should be, Lord, change me. Lord, how can I be more like you? How can I help my wife to be able to walk with you more? And so before we go any further, we're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 5 and verses 31 through 32 in our Bible. 
Now here we're going to jump into the text of this, and there's four parts to this, this message. And today we just want to begin to look at this idea of a committed love. You know, there's so many people that uh, have missed this aspect, but this is especially what God has talked about in verse number 31. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So as we begin at this, this juncture here, I want to begin by saying first, if you've gone through divorce, I'm not here in any way trying to cast judgment or shame or hurt you in any way. That's not the intent. The intent is to urge each of us in the relationship in which we are at today to be committed. Okay, To say, listen, divorce will never be part of our vocab- vocabulary. I'm not going to throw it out there like a dagger. Instead, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to choose to say, I know that this is painful, but we'll get through this, and God's going to help us. That's a committed love. So let's look at a couple of things together uh, as we look at this, because uh, oftentimes we have the idea, like that comic strip did, it's just, uh, which said this, you know it's odd, but now that I'm actually engaged, it's start, I'm starting to feel a little nervous about getting married. And the other character in the comic strip replied, I know what you're thinking. It's only natural to be nervous. Marriage is a big commitment. I mean, seven or eight years can be a long time. That wasn't God's intent, was it? So I want to just just catch this first and foremost, that God's desire is that we be committed. And so God teaches throughout Scripture the permanence in this commitment. And so our culture, it's very common for people to reject God's philosophy on marriage, but I want you to see what God has to say here in just a moment. We'll look at a lot of Scriptures that God has shared but uh, also, let me just ask this. How many of you have been married 50 or more years, uh, this year included? Amen. What a blessing. Well, let's give them a hand. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, you can ask them later, and I often love to ask families who have been married together a long time, uh, has, it, has it always been perfect? And they'll tell you no. Uh, what kept you together? Oftentimes, it'll be just simply this. We didn't think there was any getting out of it. We just figured it was, it was for life. They don't say it always like that, but you kind of get the idea. There was a commitment there. One man, one woman for life. That was their desire. But uh, so look, Let me just share with you a couple of things. The councils on families in America said the following, America's divorce revolution has failed. The evidence of failure is overwhelming. The divorce revolution, by which we mean the steady displacement of a marriage culture by a culture of divorce and unwed parenthood, has created terrible hardships for children. It's generated poverty within families. It's burdened us with unsupportable social costs. It's failed to deliver on the promise of greater adult happiness and better relationships between men and women. We as society are simply failing to teach the next generation about meaning, purposes, and responsibilities of marriage. And if this trend continues, it will constitute nothing less than an act of cultural suicide. That was written in 1995. Listen, I think we're beginning to see some of the results of that continuing over the last 30 years. And may may we just be challenged and encouraged to see God's viewpoint on this. So let's look at God's viewpoint. We're going to see God's creation of marriage. Go back to Genesis in your Bible, chapter 2 and verses number 18 through 25. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. So in order to understand a good foundation for marriage, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden where God officiates the very first wedding And so we're going to see the Word of God in relation to marriage. Starting in verse number 18, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good 
that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But listen to this. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now there's several things here I want to just share with you. Uh, but the very, just at the very verse 18, as God introduces this passage, He says this, It is not good that a man be alone. Now, I can testify to this truth. Uh, maybe some of you other men can testify to this. Lately, my, my wife had a, a family funeral, and she had to travel to Oklahoma. She was gone all day long, uh, and, uh, and it left me with three of the small children at home alone. Now, this is a dangerous situation. If you know anything about me, you know I don't cook. And this is a last-minute moment, and so my wife, uh, she didn't leave us food like she normally would if she's going to be planning to be gone. And so I was in charge of children for almost 24 hours. It was a scary situation. The very first thing we did that morning, I, I'm good at giving orders. My kids will tell you that. We got our chores done. Amen, dads? We can do that. But listen, the next thing was, what do we feed these things? And so, cereal it was. Thank you, Lord, for uh, Raisin Bran or whatever it was we had that morning. It was, it was on the countertop. I can feed them. I know what I'm doing. Lunch comes around, and I open the refrigerator, and I'm like, I have no idea what this is. If it's not on the countertop, I just don't know what it's supposed to do. And so I said, all right, I've got this. I know what ramen noodles are. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Brother Weigel says it's ramen noodles, uh, but I'm still of the camp. I'm still ramen noodles. Listen, and he even sent me some ramen noodles that said ramen on it. I said, thank you, brother. Listen, I fed him ramen noodles. I almost said it. I'm sorry. Ramen noodles for lunch. Healthy. Man, they are just doing so good. They're still alive. We're still good. Dinner that night comes along. And I'm, I'm getting panicky now because this is the big meal. I mean, they've just barely subsisted all day long. And now I'm like, man, I've got to feed them something good. So I go to Walmart. There's food there. And I walk over to the bakery section, and I said, I need some fried chicken. They said, we won't have fried chicken for 30 minutes. Now, if you know me, I don't like to stand around and wait for 30 minutes. I said, I'm sorry. That's not going to fly. I said, what other options do you have? And they didn't have hardly anything. I said, man, this is going to be desperate. And my kids said, we have hot dogs at home. I said, cha-ching, we got it. Hot dogs for dinner it was. Listen, my wife got home, and the next day she made us great lunches and dinners, and we lived. But I'm telling you, it's not good for a man to be alone. God knew what He was doing. But listen, the second thing we see in this passage here is He says, nothing else in the world satisfies or completes the man as does the wife. Listen, God is uniquely designed, and He wanted Adam to see that your wife completes you. All the, uh, the inconsistencies, all the, the, the failures and the, maybe the weaknesses on your part, I oftentimes see that the, the weaknesses I have in my end, my wife completes those on her end. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing when we see that happen in a marriage. And, and what he was showing as he brought all of those different critters before Adam and had him name them all, it wasn't an exercise in vocabulary. It was an exercise for him to see, listen, none of these things will satisfy you. You have to trust me. 
Only your wife is enough. Thirdly, we see God gives this, this idea of leaving and cleaving. Now, cleaving means to t- uh, join tightly to uh, or, and, to, and to cling to one another. Now, I brought an illustration today. Uh, if you don't, can't see what this is, this is a piece of three-quarter inch plywood. Uh, it has five layers in three-quarter inch plywood of wood. They've been uh, glued and then pressed together in a press, and uh, there is a little bit of a missing wood here, so you could try to take it apart, but it's pretty hard to remove these. Once they're all glued together, it's a very strong piece of board. I'm standing on it right now. You're sitting on uh, concrete, so praise the Lord for that. But listen, this plywood is very, very durable. I can, I can cut it, make different shapes out of it. We, can, we use it on all kinds of things in the structures uh, because it is so strong. Now what they do is they take one layer of wood and, they, and the run, grain runs this direction. They lay down uh, glue and then they run the next grain this direction. And it just alternates back and forth. And so it makes a very strong piece of wood. Now if you've ever tried to separate this plywood uh, this direction, you know it's very difficult to get it apart. And so what I wanted to do is illustrate this, and I thought about bringing my hammer and chisel, but I decided against it because of time's sake this morning. And so I just did this at home, same same piece of plywood, same thing, and if you separate it, what you find is it is possible to separate it, but the problem is there's damage. This wood is never the same again. Matter of fact, this particular piece, which you can't see from there, actually broke in the separation process. You see, what God said is, When a husband and wife come together, they cleave to one another. There's that unity there. It's no longer five pieces of wood. This is now one piece of wood. And when it comes apart, what God didn't intend, and just as the designers didn't intend for the plywood to come apart, is it can be very messy and very painful, and the wood will never be the same. You see, God's purpose and intent in marriage was that we would cleave to the good, the bad, the ugly. And before we can ever go on to step two, we've got to be willing to step back and say, God, I trust Your Word, I believe what You have said, and I choose to cling. I choose to cleave. That's where it starts. Right there, in, in, because God's original intent is perfect. Look at the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Look in your Bible with me. Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 8. You say, well, pastor, what about divorce? Well, Jesus actually deals with this very issue, so you don't have to ask me. You can just ask uh, the Son of God. Mark chapter 2, verses eight, uh, 2 through 8. Excuse me. Mark 10, not 2. All right, good. I'll get my Bible in the right place. It says, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house of his disciples asked him the same matter. So we see here this, this, what Jesus is trying to teach them is this permanence in marriage. Now the commandment of divorcement was given in Deuteronomy, and the purpose was to protect the wife. 
You see, at that time of history, a man could divorce his wife simply by stating the, fi- the fact and putting her out of his house. But God, uh, but God de- desired for us to see the bigger picture. God's plan in, in marriage was that of permanence, that we would cling together, that we would stay together no matter what. And as a result, we are stronger as a result of that choice. And so he urged them, he said, listen, the reason you have the writing of divorcement is not because it was God's will, but because your heart is hard. You won't heed, you won't humble, you won't uh, be willing to follow the Lord. And so he urged them, listen, soften your heart, have humility of the Spirit, and let the Lord bring healing to the hurts that arise in your marriage. And so God is very explicit here regarding what He believes we should do. That He believes that Kristen and I, when we join in holy matrimony on July 7, 2001, that we would be uh, uh, one flesh until the day one of us departs. And that was the commitment and the vow that we made before God and our friends and family. But God also has a reaction to divorce. And this is our, our last thing here this morning. You see, because God hates divorce. He says this in Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Yet you say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? You remember that oneness that Christ was talking about before? This is the same oneness that Malachi alludes to here. Yet he had the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Remember, he said this union is for the children. This union is to strengthen those that come behind. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith he, uh, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. You know what he's saying? He said, I hate divorce. Because marriage is companionship. It's the joining together of two, but divorce rips things apart. And speaking of marriage, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so divorce then is that breaking of the covenant. God is the God of truth. And as such, He takes seriously when we enter into covenants with Him, and we say, Lord, I promise to love and to cherish and, and to, to be with her till death do us part. What, what I'm saying is, God, I'm making a commitment, a covenant with You that I will fulfill this. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 says, When thou vowest to bow unto God, defer not to pay, pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. You see, divorce destroys this unity. It destroys this relationship, but it also destroys the picture of Christ and the church. In our text in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, once again we see in, in that second part, in verse number 32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, if you look back in the text, you will see that Jesus, uh, that, that He's referring to Christ's love for the church. And He compares Christ's love for the church with a husband's love for his wife. Look in verse 23 with me. Same passage, Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, 
so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And here's this, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, God hates divorce because it destroys this picture of, of Christ and His bride, the church. We're a picture. When, when I said I do to my wife, it was a picture of what Christ has done for me. And I am His, and we're bound together. And no one can separate that. You see, divorce tears apart that picture that God had intended. And He calls us, listen, Christian, you may just barely be hanging on. Maybe your marriage is struggling today. Maybe you're going through a valley. But let me remind you, it all starts with commitment. I choose you. You see, there's a oneness with one another that God desires for every relationship. But when that oneness with my wife is broken, it also affects my oneness with my Lord. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You see, the essential part is, is that, that we see God... I want to make sure that I walk according as you have called me to with my wife so that I can walk with you according as you want for me. More and more people seem to get the idea and forget maybe uh, what uh, Henry Ford had said years ago when he was making uh, the Model T car and uh, somebody had asked him at his 50th anniversary the rule for marital bliss and longevity. He said this, just the same as in the automobile business, stick to one model. <laughs> Listen, it's commitment. Young people, if you're considering entering the bonds of holy matrimony, and, and let me just encourage you that, uh, that it is a serious uh, choice that you will be making. Make sure it's entered with much counsel. Make sure it's entered with uh, much commitment. Make sure that you know that no matter what, it's the will of God. Listen, if you're here today and you're married and maybe you, you feel those strains that are pulling against you and you feel like maybe there's already some division there, let me just tell you, if I had stopped early before I had ever finished destroying this and I had taken it back over and I'd reapplied glue and I'd pressed it all back together, guess what happens? This board would have been just as strong as it was. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?